This podcast is a ministry of Grand Parkway Baptist Church, helping people know, enjoy, and glorify God. For more information about Grand Parkway, visit grandparkway.org. Well, if you would, grab a seat uh, for me. Let me introduce myself. My name is Aaron Cotton, and I am the student pastor here at Grand Parkway. Uh, Today is a unique Sunday uh, in the life of Grand Parkway. Uh, Each year, we take a Sunday and have uh, what we call uh, our Senior Sunday. Uh, And one of the ladies uh, pulled me beside and said, we're recognizing our seniors this morning. How nice of us uh, that that we would do do that. And I said, yes, uh, but we're also going to speak some truth over them as we send them out uh, here after uh, into the next next service. Um, And the word that the Lord has put on my heart uh, for this morning, uh, I could not get uh, the Ephesian church out of uh, my head and my heart as I was wrestling with, man, what, how, how do we go about going and doing uh, and, and conducting this morning of, of our time here? So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Revelation. Uh, and, and, and maybe all the end time nerds are kind of geeking out right, right now thinking, man, yeah, let's get some crazy stuff out there to tell our seniors as we get them out. Uh, we can read those at a later time. We're actually going to be at the beginning uh, in Revelation chapter uh, chapter 2, but I want to talk to you this morning, church, uh, about the day when the love goes cold. The day when love goes uh, cold. Uh, because here within this Ephesian church, uh, we're going to see they were a busy people, um, but, but we're going to see the words of our Lord say that he has something against against them. Uh, before I came to Grand Parkway, uh, I grew up right down the road uh, known, in, known as Katy, or we call it K-Town, uh, if, you're, if you're from there. Uh, and I, I worked at a place called Luby's. I've ta- I, I talked about it before uh, with, with you guys. Uh, my first job, uh, wait, waiting tables. I say wait, waiting tables tables pretty loosely because uh, all I did is walk around with my red shirt, my apron, and filled up tea uh, and made money off of it, right? Those old people loved me, right? Bank went through college. Uh, there were some days when I first started uh, working, uh, man, I, I, when I first started making money, how much of a big deal that was. Uh, I, I remember thinking, I'm filling up tea, I'm just loving on people, and I'm getting paid for it. This job is sweet. And then after a while, about two weeks in, uh, after all the jello and all the macaroni and all the carrot salad and all the kids that come in, and not only are they eating their food, but they like to take their food and like mash it in the carpet. I'm like, your legs don't even touch the ground. How in the world is this macaroni carved into the carpet right now? And I remember sweeping those things up, saying late hours, right? Because my life is so hard working at Luby's. And I remember going through, getting through, and I remember about two weeks in, I'm thinking, God, what, what am I doing? Here, here, I, here I am serving macaroni and cheese to just, just some ungrateful people, some ungrateful kids who are just going to ground it out into the table and I got to clean it up later. Like, is this really, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And the cl- clear as a bell, the Lord's like, absolutely. 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 During this season, it's time to work. It's time. uh, It's called being an adult, right? When I get my seniors in here uh, next service, the word for them is, hey, get a job. Uh, That that would be a great preparation for what uh, is in store uh, for you. But in that moment, I just had a bad attitude one day and I came in uh, to work and God said just in that moment, hey, remember that you represent me here. Even in the midst of you not doing what you want to do, hey, you are my ambassador. Hey, so go clean up some macaroni and cheese. Go clean up some carrot salad. And hey, this person wants some liver and onions. Go get that too, even though it reeks, right? Go get that for them and put it on their plate because that's what they, they want. You're going to be inconvenienced. And here's the sweet deal is you're going to get paid for it too. And you're going to represent me. Here's just a, just a side note for our jobs, our schools, wherever we are at in life, our occupation, our identity first comes from the fact that we are an ambassador of the king. And that changes, that changes everything. 
And for this Ephesian uh, church uh, that is right there uh, in, in, in the midst of going through a life, uh, John, uh, who is the author, as he's writing the book of Revelation, uh, it, well, history tells us that John was on this island called Patmos. Uh, and if you go to Google Maps right now, it's just a speck. Like you've got to zoom in like crazy uh, just to see this thing because as he was proclaiming the gospel, as he was living out his faith, these Romans were like, hey, Caesar is Lord. And John's like, no, Jesus is Lord. And so what they did is they banished him out uh, with, the, uh, with all the other criminals uh, to do away with this, this guy named John. And in the midst of an island, in the midst uh, of, of this being on the small, rocky, barren area where they're surrounded by criminals, Jesus shows up. And I'm going to submit to you this morning, uh, church, that anything pursued out of obligation is not love. Anything pursued out of obligation or routine is not love. How you love Christ directly affects every area of your life. I'm not saying discipline isn't important and needed, but what I am saying is that even in those things we don't care to do, we embrace the fact that Jesus was first inconvenienced for us. So therefore we can expect to be inconvenienced. And there's John on the island of Patmos, right? No family, no friends, hanging out with some criminals. And then Jesus shows up, which begs the question, Maybe some of us feel like we're on an island this morning. Maybe instead of God, get me out of this island. Like, we're like castaway with our friend Wilson, just going crazy. Hey, God, what, what am I doing in this circumstance? I'm here at Luby's. I'm just here going through life. What is going on? Maybe instead of praying for deliverance, maybe we'd pray, God, what do you want me to learn about you? Even in this situation, because amongst all the excuses John could have pulled out, Jesus shows up. Look with me in Revelation chapter one. John writes this. It says, then, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, Daniel 7, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full, in full strength. Get John's response when he sees this resurrected Jesus. And when I saw him, when I saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Church, anytime we see uh, uh, God for who he is, and he's saying we, we see this resurrected Jesus, I don't get the hallmark picture in the Bible. I don't get the, the cuddly Jesus as we embrace him. But when we see the resurrected Christ, when we see God in all his glory, the people fall before him. That's why we're going to see later on in Revelation the angels and the multitudes. And you, you know, you're, you're at the ballpark and someone wants to do, do the wave. Hey, let's start the wave. Let's, let's, let's do the wave. And you're like, yeah, let's do it. And then all of a sudden you get this this. And you see across it and it starts going across the stadium and you're all proud of yourself. But in the kingdom of God and in the heavenlies, Jesus is at the center and the holy wave is people bowing down before him. Because when you see the king in all his glory, as Isaiah says, woe to me for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among some people of some unclean lips. But who's going to go for you? I will go for you because I have been set aside in ruin for the sake of the gospel. 
And if you come here on a, uh, for tonight, on uh, this Sunday night at 5.30, as we uh, ordain myself, you're going to see a dead man before you. You're, you're going to see someone who, who has embraced the call to ministry, to lay my life down for the sake of others, which is all of our calls. Because have your eyes seen the king, church? Has your eyes seen the king? Because number one of the, of the point this, this morning is when the day when the love goes cold, number one that we need to understand and embrace is the fact that Jesus is in charge. His hair white like wool, like snow, his eyes like fire. And he tells John in verse 19, write therefore the things that you have seen, and those things that are, and those things that are going to take place. Hey, fear not, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. Revelation 2, verse 1, John continues to write about this Jesus who's in charge. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. John's, he, he's writing to a, a, a church who is I mean, centered on idolatry. I mean, he, he is centered, uh, he's writing to the church who is right in the midst of a city called Ephesus, uh, which, is all, which idolatry is all around the place. The, the city of Ephesus was a port city. It brought in so many different people. And, and the main worship that happened amongst there uh, was, this, was Artemis worship. And criminals could find refuge and sexual idolatry was prevalent throughout the entire town in order to please this deity. I mean, the church literally is existing amongst Las Vegas in, in, in our vernacular. I mean, one of the darkest places, but yet John writes that even in the midst of darkness, Jesus walks and he holds, according to verse 1, the seven stars in his right hand. He walks among the seven golden lampstands. I'm going to have an intro to Jesus and who he is so that we can keep on going as we should. Church, Christ is present now in the halls. He's present in the buildings. He's present out in the warehouse, which I hope, I hope, uh, I hope he's there because I'm not there. Hopefully they're not tearing down the building. But he's out there at the warehouse. He's out in the children's building. He's in this building. He's present now amongst the rows. He's, are you taking notes, by the way? I, I, he's present here um, amongst us. He's the one who walks. And because of Jesus' walking and his availability, it makes this possible. It makes life possible. It makes church possible. When we first embrace the fact that, number one, Jesus is in charge. And number two, the Christian life, it involves work. The Christian life involves work. John writes about this church, this Ephesian church. I know your works. I know your deeds, I know your toil, and I know your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but attested to all those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing it for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Jump down to verse six. Yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate that in the midst of, the, of this Ephesian church, there's this group called the Nicolaitans who were coming in and they were wanting to take pagan freedoms and pagan liberties. And they're trying to integrate that into the life of the church. And the Ephesians are saying, hey, we can't have any of that. God has called us to be a kingdom of, free, of priests and a holy nation. We're, we're, we're to be pure within the body. And yet these Nicolaitans with their intent is to spread not the gospel, which we know in Galatians 1, Paul takes that pretty seriously. Let them be a curse who doesn't proclaim 
the gospel. And God takes sin seriously. So these Nicolaitans, the Ephesians have said, hey, we can't have anything uh, to do with these people. But these Ephesians not only are doing that, but they, they, they've got, they're doing works, they're toiling, and they're, and they're patiently enduring. So when I say that the Christian life involves work, I'm reminded of Ephesians 2, which says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If there's any words that I would love for this generation or these graduates as we're sending them out, I would love for them to just get their pins and highlight, star, smiley face, whatever they got to do to see that, that there's work and there's toiling and there is enduring in the life of a Christian. Not a, not a work that justifies us so that we can stand approved by God. No, nothing that we can do uh, saves us. Only is based upon Jesus and what he has done is what justifies us. But because we are a justified and saved people, therefore we do. According to Paul in Ephesians 2, there is works prepared in advance for you to do. So my word for them is to develop a work ethic. It's time to get a job. Not only these, if these Ephesians, are they really good at work? Not only are they really good at enduring, but they're also, they don't tolerate sin. They don't tolerate uh, sin. It says, how can, you bear with, uh, how can you not bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call them apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. Church, don't put yourself in a situation where people can assume the worst. Don't put yourself in a situation where people can uh, assume the worst. I tell my students all the time, hey, don't hang around idiots. Just don't. Just don't hang around foolish people. More biblical term, right, with Proverbs. Don't, don't hang around uh, uh, people who are making some bad decisions and investing in those relationships because eventually, because most of them turn to me and they, they got some church in them, they got some religion in them, and they've read some Bible, and the, hey, I'm going to go out there and save my friends, or I'm going to date this person uh, so I can present the gospel, and hopefully they will come, they'll, they'll be saved. And I say, hey, man, you're a fool. Like, you, you, you think that you're going to go, in, go into this thing. I'm not saying sh- I'm not share the gospel. I'm not saying share the good news. I'm not saying love them. But when you invest so much in a relationship and they're not on the same page as you, they'll bring you down. That's why the Bible says, hey, don't be unequally yoked. That we, there's, there's a partnership that goes on. I don't know if you've ever seen a team that plows, but if one falls over, man, that's, that's, that's bad news. Not to, to keep and not to tolerate, not to put ourselves in foolish situations. Because this Ephesian church, they, they, no way. No, no, no way. Not only were they, would they not do that, but they also, they could identify falsehood pretty good. These were people who were theologically trained. These were the people who had great uh, uh, staff, had great teachers, had great pastors, had great classroom settings. They were aware of the truth. They knew the truth. And they were able to identify what was false and what was true. That's why John says in 1 John, in his epistle, which he writes earlier, he says, Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is to be expected, that we are to test what we hear. In the classrooms, when we're with our, in our coworkers, and we're in the locker room, or, or wherever we may be, because people always got an opinion. They always got an opinion. They always got something that they they believe to be true. And what I'm, uh, what is being submitted to us is, hey, what, is this truth line up with scripture? Does it line up with what God has revealed? Because these people, they knew, they knew, they knew the truth. 
This past Friday, uh, I came into the office, and uh, it was just a, a, a normal Friday for me. Uh, I got here as early um, as, as I could. I rolled in, uh, and about, I was here about 15 minutes, uh, and, my, and my phone rang. Right? And there's just some days that uh, distractions happen, and I, I've learned to kind of embrace them and think, oh, okay, yeah, God, you're, this is an invitation. You're inviting me to uh, be inconvenienced, right, Aaron? You just said that, so I'm going through all this. My phone rings. I pick up. It's our, uh, our child care director, and her, her name is Jennifer Pennington, and she says, hey, Aaron, uh, I got something to tell you. And I don't know if, you, if you're on the phone with somebody, you know when something's up, like you know someone's in trouble. And immediately, like I unbuttoned my shirt and I had my Superman shirt on. Like immediately I just became Superman. I began to think, what's, what's wrong? What, 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 what's going on? She says, hey, there's an alligator in our pond back behind the playground. And I said, oh, I know you got your own children's building, you got your own program. Like, did y'all bring in the zoo? Because whatever I'm doing, I want to go out there where, where it's happening, right? She goes, no, there's alligator for real. Okay, for real, for real. So I go out there, I, I'm looking in, I'm looking at this pond. I've been in Texas my whole life. Texas boy, country boy, been out, grew up on a farm somewhat. Go out there. I've never, I've never seen an alligator. Like, I, I've been to the zoo where they got, like, glass, and you can kind of poke at them. And like, hey, cool, an alligator. It's here. But I'm safe. I'm good. I, I, I'm good. But no, I've never been, like, out in the wild, like, wild, right? Right here back behind our church. And I look back there, and I'm looking at the pond. And I'm looking, I'm like, because I still don't believe her, right? I've never seen anything like this. And I'm looking, I see what looks like a log. And then, and then the, log, the log starts moving. I'm like, is the wind blowing? Is it? Nope, not blowing. It's, and then all of a sudden this log turns. And then the log has eyes, right? And then the eyes looks, and then it blinks at me to give me a little wink. Like, what's up? I'm like, and immediately, I, I, like, there's an alligator right there in, in our pond. Where's Where's my, where's my buddy Charlie Williams? Let's get, the, let's get a gun out, man. Let's just shoot this thing and skin it. I need a wallet. Like, we could, we could do this, right? And I, and I look out there, and in that moment, I say, everybody clear out. Immediately, I just became, like, the security guard. Like, student pastor, security guard. Everybody out for everybody's safety. Everybody back behind me, because we got mops going on. We got about 70 kids on the building and a bunch of moms, right? And I'm the only dude on campus, so they have nowhere else to turn, to be honest. So I'm going there. Get behind me, people. And I call. I get online. What do you do? I first go to my seminary education, right? Do they teach you in seminary what to do with an alligator in the back of their pond? No, they don't. Thank you for that education. Check. So I go in there. What do you do? Google. Like, so I go to Google. How do you get an alligator out of, of, of a pond? And sure enough, I found this guy named Gator Chris. That, like first and last, first name Gator, last name Chris. Gator Chris shows up in a truck, lifted up, big old tire. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got, we got, the, we got the right person with the four wheeler on back and on, on these wheels. He, he had these things where he could go out into the water and float. Like I, I'm just nerding out. Like you can do whatever you want, but I want to ride that four wheeler uh, as soon as you get that thing down. Get that thing down. He's, he's all looking out and like the guy is just like secret agent on this alligator. I mean, hiding behind stuff, like look, looking over. They're hiding it. And then he's crawling. I'm like, anybody else see this right now? Anybody else looking? And I want to look out. He's like, hey, hey, step back, step back. Okay, professionals only. I get it, I get it. Long story short, this happened Friday and then Saturday morning happens because to be honest, I ain't going to miss this. Like I, I, I've, I've hunted a, and I've done things. I've been, I've never caught an alligator. Like, right? Like, and I'm thinking, sermon prep, pff, this is the best sermon prep ever right here. So I get out there. He catches the thing. We bring, we bring it up. I mean, the, he makes that alligator just tap. Like, you just got up onto it, slapped it right on its nose. The thing rolled over and said, I'm done. And he just laid there. I'm like, this is it? This is all. And he goes, Aaron, I want you to tape its mouth. You want me to do what? You, 
hey, do you not know? Like, I, I love kids, but uh, okay, I'll get down. He pulls out some electrical tape, all right? And, and wrapping around this alligator's mouth, makes that thing submit, sit still. And then I, I remember how chuckling and laughing because I never experienced anything like this. But, but the thought went through my mind. Here we are, we're doing life. We got mops going on. We got children's uh, program going on. I'm here in my, we're just doing life and we're kind of going. But yet in the midst of all this, there's a stinking predator on our campus, who has claws and a big mouth and lunged at me a little bit and I TT'd my pants, to be honest, right? <laughs> but here we are just going about our lives and going about, and, there, and yet in the midst of that, like there, there's seriously an animal that could do a lot of damage. Aaron, why would you go on and tell us that story? Number one, because it's a cool story uh, and I'm gonna continue to talk about it. I think the next student ministry calendar is gonna be me next to that alligator, right? All 10 foot of it. But I tell you that because in the midst of us going through our, our lives, there can, be an e, there's a, there can be this tendency to overlook things that people say and just say, you know what, yeah, that's what they believe. That, 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 that's, that's good for them. Because that, that's where we're at, church. We're, 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 we're at a point where truth is relative. It's not, hey, whatever's true for you, it doesn't really apply to me. Jesus said he's the only way. He's the only truth and he's, only, he, he's the only one that can gain access to God. I mean, he, he, he lays it out really clear. But Paul said this, hey, there's gonna be wolves that come in. And he tells the church, hey, therefore, be alert. Be alert, be able to identify predators, be able to identify and be on guard for the purity of the church. Not only does he say they're able to identify falsehood, but they live their lives in a, in a, with a mindset that they got the glory of God before them. And because the glory of God is before him, they're able to endure in the midst of persecution, in suffering, and even in false teaching. And they, 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 because of this, he's, the, the church, as written, says that they did not grow weary. That's why Paul writes in Galatians 6, hey, let us not be a people who grow weary in doing, in doing good. When we live for God's glory, when God's glory is embraced uh, and is set before us, there's a weariness that does not come and overwhelm us because we know God is in control. That's why we can endure. That's why uh, you don't have to be weary in your singleness. That's why you don't have to be uh, weary in loving your spouse. That's why you don't have to be weary in raising uh, your, your kids. You don't have to be weary in all your finals and homework and job and all these things that we got going on is because... God's glory is what matters. And when we embrace that perspective, I pray that it put a little more pep in our step to continue to move on. These, this, this Ephesian church, they had it down. I mean, this, this is the church that you'd want to go to. I mean, they had it rocking. They had all the right youth programs. They had all the right children's programs. But above all these things, they missed it. They missed it. Read with me in Revelation 2, verse 4. The Bible says, but I have this against you. Amongst all the things that you're doing, one of the most troubling and disturbing things, yeah, I got, I got spanked as a kid and I got whipped and I needed it, all of it. And it hurt and I learned. But one thing that my dad would say to me that even was worse than even sometimes a spanking was, hey, I'm disappointed in you. Jesus looks at the church and says, hey, I'm disappointed in you. I have this against you. What is it? That you have abandoned the love you had at first. You haven't only lost it, but you have abandoned it. 
and all your religious busyness and all your discipleship programs and all the things that you're teaching, all the classes that you're doing and all your church attendance and all the Sunday mornings you can mark off and say that you attended. All that is like, is like a whitewashed tomb that is beautiful on the outside, but yet like dead men's bones on the inside. This church had lost their fervent love for the Lord. They fell into a routine in a rut of just going and going and coasting, and yet lost their first love. They've missed the greatest commandment. Church, if there's any commandment that we could just embrace, it would be this one, because Jesus says it's the greatest one. He says this in Matthew 22, you shall love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Church, if we continue to come to this place and fill our minds with glorious truths and glorious theological doctrine, we go to classes on Wednesday night and talk about the essentials. If we continue to go through these things and our hearts aren't stirred and jolted by the things that we are hearing and it develops a love, a more love for Christ, then we've missed it. We've missed if we come to this place and hear things, and things that we can memorize and things that we can say, yeah, I did, I did this, but yet there is... Not a lot of love for the Lord. We've missed it. We've missed the greatest commandment. In all our religious busyness, the Ephesians church had grown cold. According to Matthew 24, verse 12, the love of many will grow cold. Church, are you complacent this morning? Are you apathetic this morning? Just kind of like, I'm just kind of going through the motions, kind of coasting. I'm pretending. And are his commandments burdensome? It says this in 1 John 5. It says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and they are not burdensome. I was with my discipleship group, group guys on Wednesday night and I asked them, I said, hey, uh, are, are God's commandments burdensome? Or which ones are, which commandments of God are burdensome? And one, of the, one, one honest guy raised his hand because all of them were like, well, you know, uh, all the Pharisees in the house, they're trying to excuse their behavior. Uh, I, I know this, I know this commandment. The one guy can raise his hand and goes, E, all of them are burdensome. Uh, I'm like, Yes, let's start, let's, let's start there. Because John talks about that there's a life uh, and there's a love and a devotion for God to where his commandments are not burdensome. And someone's thinking, how is that even possible? I think because for some of us, we have a compartmentalized faith. We come on Sunday, hoorah, yay, Jesus. Hear all the right worship songs. We come on Wednesday night. We're the, we're the theologians. But yet throughout the week, we're living a totally different life. Maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. Brian Haynes says this. This is a quote from a pastor uh, right down the road. He says this. In a world of convenient Christianity, we, are certainly, we certainly do not naturally embrace an all-consuming form of faith. In fact, our Western version of Christianity has influenced a generation of Christians to live with a compartmentalized form of the faith that does not reflect the essence of following Jesus. When we allow Jesus' kingship over only certain compartments of our lives, we're able to justify a way of life that is appalling to our Lord who gave everything. This is how we can go to church every Sunday and yet refuse to love our neighbor. This is how a person can, mem can memorize the Ten Commandments and yet cheat on their income tax or commit adultery. In my view, compartmentalized Christianity allows the individual to be king or queen and removes Christ from the throne of our lives in a sinful exercise of free will. 
As followers of Christ, we must walk as he walked. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Church, if we ever have an attitude of, we need a break from God, we've missed Christianity. We've missed it. That's a compartmentalized faith. But living and thinking one way on Sunday and different throughout uh, uh, the week is not a love devoted, not only just on Sundays, but also every day of the week. I'll never forget spring of 2013. That was a semester in my life, a chapter where I met a girl named Chloe. I've known her a while, and she was always there, but I never really got to know her. And once I did, things started happening. Things inside me started happening. Things inside her started happening. And we, I decided I finally got, I was man enough to say, hey, why don't we go out on a date and let's, let's, let's just, I just want to get to know you. I want to get to know what, man, what makes you tick, man. How is your relationship with the Lord doing? And we would, uh, man, go on dates and we'd go consistently as I got to know her and we about went on three or four and I could tell the moment, it was like a snowball, uh, as it was going down, it was just this momentum. And I began to look at it and think, uh, okay, this is, uh, this is kind of getting out of hand. This is unfamiliar territory. I don't know if I, and we get to this point where I'm hanging out over, uh, in Cinco right here in Katy and we're just hanging out having a conversation about to grab some Mexican food, which my mind was on, uh, on, on some fajitas and some tortillas and some queso. Amen. And so my mind's on that. And then also we're just hanging out. We're talking no DTR, no define the relationship. We're hanging out and she looks over at me and she says, Aaron, there's no one else for me. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, there's no one else for me either. Uh, but I, you know, these nachos, you know, they're pretty good over here. The fajitas, uh, they got some beef in here. And for a second, I was like, wait, put time out. And full time out on this one. Do you know, we just, we just, you just said that there's no one else for you. And I literally just said the same thing. Like, you can't just go back to that moment and say, hey, just kidding. I was just kidding on uh, when I, when I, when I said that. And I remember st- literally I stood up from the bench, right? Just as a little dramatic little boy. And I just started pacing because commitment scared the junk out of me, right? And I'm going there. I'm thinking, I'm like, we just, we just said this. And she's like, yeah. And in that moment, I knew that I loved her. And I, I, and I can't, I can't explain it. And this isn't Disney channel and I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not getting all, but this is just a moment where there was something so big and something some, so much bigger than me that I, I couldn't forget it. I knew that I loved her and I knew where we were going. I knew the plan that God had for us, but I wasn't going to tell her until I hit my knee and said, Hey, marry me. And church love drives us to, it drives us to do crazy things. Like go buy an engagement ring that is just take out all my savings, right? That I've been saving for all these different years. But why? It was wor- totally worth it. But lo- a, a, a love would drive us to do crazy, crazy things. And Jesus says to this church, hey, you've abandoned your first love, but remember. I want you to remember the moments where you place your faith and trust in Jesus and your life was forever changed when your eyes saw the king. Remember that moment. There is a power in remembering. That's why we got the book of Deuteronomy. That's why we got books of the Bible like Acts chapter 7, where Stephen just vomits all over the people of how God has acted before from the ways of old to the ways of Jesus and to his coming. There's a power in remembering. Jesus is in charge. The Christian life, it involves work. A love for God, church, is primary. And lastly, restoration is made available. 
Remember, therefore, according verse five, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If we're not a repenting people, church, if we don't change our mind and and our thoughts about our sin to turn away from it and towards God, God says to these people, hey, I'm going to remove your lampstand. God said that you're to be a light uh, into a city. You don't put a bowl over this light, but you're to let your light shine. If we are not a repentant people, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to remove the lampstand. I'm going to remove it. So therefore, remember where you came. Remember restoration is available because he says this in verse seven. He who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. Parents in, in, in the house, there are things you're going to say to your students. There's going to be things that you say to their kids that's going to make absolutely no sense at the beginning until later. Jesus has got to do a work on them. The Spirit has got to move among them. That's why he would say, he who has an ear, let him hear. Does that sound familiar it's from the Gospels when Jesus would have conversations with people? Be like, yeah, I got, I got an ear. What are you talking about? You know, because when the Spirit shows up, he brings, he brings hearing. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. God's called his people to remember. He's called his people to repent and return. How does this happen? Psalm 51 says, create in me, God, a pure and clean heart, a right spirit within me. So maybe for some of us, when we talk about uh, a religious busyness of, of going and, and doing and going through the motions, you, maybe you find yourself in a routine of being complacent, kind of just coasting, maybe in neutral, kind of, I, I hope I get to a top of the hill so I can just coast that thing down. Jesus died and went and gave his all so that we could be a freed up people who are passionately in love with him. The greatest commandment. That this world uh, can have it if just give me, give me Jesus. And he says there's a paradise to come. Where Adam and Eve failed in Genesis 3. When they failed miserably, I'm going to restore. And I'm, go- I'm going to make things right. It's not, it's not here now. I'll talk about a paradise. I mean, some of us may be thinking, yeah, not now. But we're here this morning to say one day. There's a paradise before us because Jesus has come and lived and conquered death and rose from the grave so that we could have life. It says this in 1 John chapter 5, says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Church, our victory is a participation in what Christ has already done. That he is victorious. As Neil said a, a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus has won. Like this, this is the game changer. This changes everything. That he's the one in charge. The, the Christian life involves work. Love for God is first and foremost. It's primary. And restoration is made available for those in Christ. Would you do me a favor? Stand your feet. I want to speak a blessing over you. If you're a visitor here, we hold our, our hands like this. And the reason why we hold out our hands like this is because uh, we're expecting to receive something. 
remember the first time I came to Grand Parkway and all of a sudden all the people went like this. I was like, what's going on? Like, what are we, what are we doing? But this is just a symbol of, I'm going to walk out of here receiving and receive this church, your overcomers. That Christ has came and lived a life that me and you can never live. He who is in you is greater than he is in the world. This makes this possible. It makes this doable. So depart out of here, freed up, passionately in love with our maker and our king. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit, bless you. You're dismissed.